This episode is sponsored by 5.11, a company that I've used for well over a decade and continue to use to this day. And 5.11 is offering you guys, the audience of the Behind the Shield podcast, a discount on every purchase you make with them. Before we get to that code, I want to highlight a couple of products that, again, I personally use today. One of the most impressive products they just released is their Rush Backpack 2.0. Now, for many of you, whether you're going to the fire station, the police station, whether you're traveling with your family, whether you're taking training courses, we have to fly, we have to drive, we have to take trains. And I have to say, I own multiple backpacks, many of uh, 5.11's different ones, but as far as a day pack, this one was the most impressive. There are so many different compartments. The way it sits on your back is incredibly comfortable. If you are a concealed carry person, there's also a spot for a weapon. So they've thought of multiple, multiple things that a man or woman would have to do on a daily basis. That is in addition to all of the products that I talk about a lot. Their uniforms fit for men or fit for women in the first responder professions. The footwear that they offer, whether it's the Norris sneaker or the Atlas system that is designed for foot health and therefore knees and back and hips and shoulders and neck. As a civilian, I live in a lot of their clothes as well. Their jeans stretch. You can actually squat down in them. We live in Florida here, so I wear a lot of their shorts, which again, very, very lightweight material. You can get it wet and it will dry almost immediately. And then moving to the fitness and tactical space, I used to have just a regular weight vest. Recently, I switched to a 511 vest and actually bought ballistic plates as well. My thinking was simply, if I'm going to have a vest, why not have one that protects me as well? And that TAC vest is trusted by law enforcement all around the country. So I mentioned they were going to offer you a discount code. So if you go to 511tactical.com and enter the code SHIELD15, S-H-I-E-L-D-1-5, you'll get 15% off not just that one purchase, but every time you visit their store. And if you want to learn more about 5.11, their mission, their products, then listen to episode 338 of the Behind the Shield podcast with the CEO and founder, Francisco Morales. Welcome to episode 490 of Behind the Shield podcast. As always, my name is James Gearing, and this week it is my absolute honor to welcome back on the show, Terence Kosikar. Now, Terence was my guest on episode 69, which actually ended up being one of the longest episodes I've recorded to date. And in that episode, we discussed his incredible journey from being on the streets, being in gangs, to the incredible retreat he set up for first responders called Camp My Way. So in this second conversation, we talked to him again a few years later, how his own personal journey has been, his own personal growth, and many, many stories of the responders that have joined him up there and the healing element of nature. Before we get to that conversation, as I say every single week, please just take a moment, go to whichever app you listen to this on, subscribe to the show, leave feedback, and leave a rating. Every five-star rating truly does elevate this podcast, making it easier for others to find. And this is a free library of almost 500 episodes now. So all I ask in return is that you pay it forward and share these incredible men and women's stories so I can get them to everyone else who needs to hear them. So with that being said, I welcome back Terence Kosikar. Enjoy. Terence, I want to say welcome back. We talked 
four years ago now. Um, it was at the time, I think maybe even still the longest recording I've done. Um, <laughs> and rightly so, you have an incredible life story. And for everyone listening, that was episode 69, which seems to be fitting too. <laughs> um, but, uh, <laughs> but I want to welcome you back. Thank you. James, it's an, it's an honor to be here and uh, see your beautiful smile again, brother. Beautiful. Well, I don't do many recordings where the recipient is sitting in a mountain in Canada. So for everyone listening, where exactly are we, are we finding you on planet Earth today? We are in a small um, native community in the Statley uh, Nation, Statley Territory, in the backcountry mountains of British Columbia, Canada. We're about 200 kilometers away from humans right now. Beautiful. That feels good. Yeah. Sure does. Free. <laughs> well, with that, then I guess that's a good segue to start start the conversation with the last, you know, year, fourteen months. Um, you know, a lot of people found themselves in urban, suburban sprawl. You know, and and the impact of what we've seen the last year has varied from you know a very small amount through to obviously an acute people that were in the you know, ICU. Um, profession in New York City, for example, or London, saw, you know, very different than probably what you saw. So I like to get storytelling from all these different humans from all over the world. So let's open with that. What what did you see in your area the last um, you know, 12, 14 months, whether it was COVID specific or even the impact of that on Camp My Way itself? Well, I tell you, James, you know, we've been, uh, I've been living full time up here in the backcountry for six years now. Um, I escaped the cage or the city or urban environment uh, due to the fact of, you know, just everything that goes on there, all the uh, do this, be here, go there, got to pay. It's just too much. And that's what ultimately cost me, you know, my family, my career, uh, my overall health and well-being. So I've been up here for six years and nothing has changed since the beginning of time. <laughs> the lakes still have fish. The deer are still walking through the property. You might even see Fozzy Bear or Fuzzy Butt walk behind me, which are two of our local bears. And, uh, you know, like birds are still singing, trees are still growing. So, um, but my perspective on, you know, when I heard this lockdown is kind of strange because, or the timing is perfect. I was, uh, just gave a presentation to the, um, uh, for the BC search and rescue executives and some executives with the Royal Canadian Mounted Police at the Pacific Training Headquarters. And the day before lockdown, you know, it's hugs, it's handshakes, you know, with a hundred different men and women of our emergency services. And I got back here to the mountains and I got the, oh, yeah, I, you know, the world's locking down. There's something, you know, our, our, I don't know what you call him, a president or premier, the boss had his diaper on his face on television saying, you know, you know, stay home. And, and, and I got this gut feeling and I went and wrote a blog about it, that this is precisely the same as, as being told, grab a suitcase, pack one suitcase and you got it, you're going to be getting on a train. In other words, we're talking about World War II going to the Auschwitz camps. That's how I see it. And uh, that's how it is. This just isn't going to be a physical war. 
This is a psychological and emotional warfare on the entire world. That's just what my gut says. And uh, evidently, I mean, we canceled Christmas, bro. <laughs> Shit. Reli I mean, we're all getting into that whole thing. Well, let's talk about more uh, really good, positive things that we can do or what will come of this. Actually, if I can ramble like I do, let me just continue to add one more thing, James. Please. In the last six years, or sorry, the last five years, we have, we have done our best to raise awareness to, to post-traumatic stress, uh, you know, mental health, addiction. What the hell are you drinking? What was that thing? It's called Focus Aid. It's uh, actually, um, it's got a bunch of supplements in that are for brain health. So it's, it's not an energy drink. It's what I try and get people to drink instead of energy drinks. But it's, uh, it's got a, you know, a little bit of caffeine, but basically it's um, what they call nootropics which are supplements for the brain. So having work shifts for all those years, having been punched in the head a lot in my younger years, <laughs> I do what I can to try and help my aging brain. Amazing, amazing. Well, I'd like, where's the bowl or the plate full of like celery and carrots and radishes? <laughs> yeah, no, they're in the fridge. I have that too. <laughs> I know you do, James. I can tell by the, uh, the shape that you're in and the, and the health in your face for sure. Uh, so we were talking about raising awareness over all these years and, you know, on our journey in doing so, I, it just, I just couldn't understand why police departments, fire departments, government agencies, insurance companies, why they weren't letting us in the door or even answering the door. It's like, what, you know, I said to myself over all the years, and this is kind of like what we were speaking about earlier, the power of, power of our thoughts, power of positive thinking. I used to think every single day, every time a door gets slammed in the face or an unheard email, say, you know what? In order for the people to understand what post-traumatic stress is so that we can prevent the suicides, the substance abuse, the, uh, everything that's going on in our society, these people at the top have to experience what it feels like to live in the deepest, darkest depths of the mother belly of the beast. And I, I kind of wished it upon them. I wish we can get them to, to, to experience this so that we can make change. And then COVID hit when this whole diaper wearing, stay at home, social, physical insanity, civilizational suicide, genocide. I said, yes. Now we have 7 billion people in the grasps. We, we, we have them right by the freaking balls. And it's going to take five, 10 years before we actually see to see the salads are only being served right now, brother. Yeah, so, you, so I think that's that's just it. So there's a lot of people that probably immediately the moment you said, you know, face diaper or, you know, that we're in a clutch just now that would immediately put their walls up and don't want to hear anymore. But what's important is that we hear all these different perspectives. And a man who lives completely out in the wilderness has a very different perspective than other people. And what I've been talking about this whole year is absolutely acknowledging that 
if you get COVID and you have you're immune compromised, whether that's through obesity, diabetes, autoimmune disease, sleep deprivation, through shift work, then it potentially can be a very dangerous thing. Now, where we cram human beings so tightly together that we have to build up into the sky, clearly that seems to be more of an issue. When they're more spread out, ironically in Florida here, where we have a lot of elderly people, but we have more space, we have sunshine, it wasn't as much of an impact. So, you know, I think that's, that's you know, an important perspective from someone that was completely detached from this, from the outside looking in. But that underlying health element, you know, I wish that that cage that you're talking about People will go, oh, now we've learned. But I, I, I'm very sad to see that over a year later, I don't see conversations on obesity, on mental health, on addiction. I feel like we're just going to slide back into exactly where we were before. And that is the real tragedy, that all those people died. And what came out of this was, oh, if we just sit in our house and wear a mask and get vaccinated, then everything will be okay. And I think that's the biggest tragedy this last year for me through my my eyes. Yeah. Hey, you know, something I, I, tell, I tell you, James, you know, if you think about it, everybody, you know, I once in a while, like every, I don't know, well, let's just think about it this way. Uh, <clears throat> we used to be able to go to do events. We used to be able to go to the city and they locked everything down. And before COVID, we were getting, you know, uh, uh, 15, 20 people reach out per week. Uh, people who are struggling and suffering and suicidal and want to get off the substances and get their lives back. Uh, within the first month, I couldn't even believe my email system almost buckled and all of our social media platforms with the amount of people that were asking for help. And just in the last month, it still keeps going up about 400%. While we're all looking at the numbers and, and being told what to fear, we're looking at the stage. But who is looking behind the stage, behind the curtain, to see what's actually going on? You know, you know this, is, this is a um, you know, fear. I'm going to just read this here real quick because it's, it's, it's so true. And this is written by Napoleon Hill back in the 1938. Fear is the tool of a man-made devil. Self-confident faith in oneself is both the man-made weapon, which defeats this devil, and the man-made tool, which builds a triumphant life. And it's more than that. It is a link to the irresistible forces of the universe which stand behind a man who does not believe in failure and defeat as anything but temporary experiences. Just in the realm of fear, how much media on this virus? Italy's buckled. These people are dying. The body counts are lining up. Listen, brother, I speak to many different people in seven different countries, and I don't know one person who's died from any of them have never said they even have a family or a relative or a friend or a coworker, not one. So my opinion on, you know, when you put a, a, when I call it a diaper on your face, that's not a human making those decisions. If that was a human decision, a human and somebody with the health world health organization or whatnot would say, listen, you can't social and physical distance our design. 
<clears throat> not what the real problem's about to happen. It, it's in the next couple of years, we're going to see uh, what I'm talking about. Yeah, well, I'm worried about that ripple effect too. And that quote, was that from um, Think and Grow Rich? That's from Outwitting the Devil. Oh, okay. That's another one of his books. <sighs> just released, and it was written 100 years ago. Oh, wow. And it was just, just released a few years, just now. Uh, well, a couple of years ago. It's my, the first book I've ever read. Yeah. You see, what the way I, I've viewed this last year, and I came up with an analogy um, – you know, a little while ago, so you think of a castle, or something. So you think of a medieval army, not a castle, okay? And and you put that defending army in a field, and the opposing army attacks those guys in the field, but they they you know they completely outnumber the defending army, so they fight valiantly, and and then they get overrun and killed. Okay, now take that same army and build them a castle. And put moats around the castle, make the walls thick and high, and put the boiling oil on the top, and then little slits so they can fire their arrows through the slits. That same number of men are going to be able to repel that that attacking army. That's the human body. The attacking army doesn't change. That's COVID. That's bird flu. That's you know, Hep B. It's all these things that that we're attacked with on a daily basis, really. But it's the resilience. It's it's the strength of the individual to repel that. And that's the part of the conversation that drives me crazy. The masks aren't what saves lives. The immune system is what saves lives. You know, and, and yes, of course, I understand the application of a mask when someone sneezes. I mean, yes, of course, it's going to have a an impact. But if we're not talking about the underlying health, the resilience of the individual, and a year later, there's no discussions on changing PE in, in schools and what we're feeding and getting the soda companies to get their fucking vending machines out of our children's schools. If those aren't in conversations, then how can you have the audacity to look at people in the eye and say you're concerned with their health? 100%, James. Absolutely. You know, obese people, uh, humans who weren't taking care of themselves on a daily, the self-care, breathing, mindfulness, uh, eating healthy, getting exercise. You know, these are the sorts of things I'm surprised when they said, stay home, stay home or you're going to die. If they came out with the Dalai Lama that said, stay home and breathe, eat good, connect to goodness, go for a walk in the forest. Well, hey, I'd buy into it. But it was just fear, fear, numbers, go. The numbers. I watched maybe once a month. I look at it and go, God, look at these people. There's a, uh, I, I look at them with a little mustache, uh, and, and like Hitler. And that's just the way I see it, bro. When I've, I've come back from the grave, and I can say that because I'm alive today to call it how I see it. And uh, that's, how, that's just it. Um, now, you know, I imagine, James, there's uh, what, what people – might not understand but need to know is the word covid isolation lockdown or else die well guess what the nervous system doesn't see the news the nervous system doesn't see the health order or the or the uh, uh, the mass it perceives a threat to itself the organism and gives off energy to protect itself. The same as if you and I were responding to a fire, the same as if a soldier was getting shot at in Afghanistan, this whole threat to our existence 
is what they call post-traumatic stress disorder, what's going to happen of it. Our suicide rates are going to absolutely, our whole civilization will buckle unless we start stepping up and beginning to take care of ourselves, connect, breathe, exercise, all of the things that we should have been doing this last year and a half while we've been grounded at home. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. Well, and what's, um, what's been so bad? Because again, I mean, I, I have people um, in my circles who have lost people. So again, let's just be very clear. I'm not refuting for a moment that it isn't yet another one of these viruses out there that takes lives, you know, like HIV did. I mean, all, all these all these kind of pandemics that we've had, they're, they're a very real thing. But the resilience element is is so important to talk about. And you said with fear, I mean, physiologically, the worst thing you can do if you're concerned about people being vulnerable to a disease is break down their immune system through fear. Oh, don't leave your house. Don't get sunlight. Don't walk in the forest. Don't do all the things that are actually going to... Don't sleep well. You know, so every all the advice they gave only made people more vulnerable. And that's what pisses me off. I've never for a moment, you know, disputed it. I've got the vaccine because I want to travel and I can see that's going to be a barrier. And I've got a you know, family I haven't seen for over two years now. But that being said, my message from day one has been, what about the human health element? What about the individual's health mentally and physically? Yeah, one absolutely again 100 percent, james that's why i love you brother because you call it how it is now i'm a little bit surprised that you um that you drank the kool-aid with the and vaccination whatever they're calling it well know, i mean uh, then, you know, so the thing is i i can anticipate and it's going to be for a while that it's going to be a huge barrier to to traveling to interacting my grandmother's 103 almost 104 um so for me as a firefighter I've had to have hepatitis B, MMR, I mean, all these other things. I didn't have the flu shot normally, but if this one thing is going to allow me to travel more, that was a, a choice that I made. Like, I, I looked at it as I didn't want to have it, but I wasn't so opposed that I was, you know, I have an issue with it either. I had both shots done. I did two hours of MMA the same day I had my second shot. I didn't have any sort of issue at all. And to me... Either, either I haven't had COVID. Either way, an immune response is a natural thing. So I think that is a far less worrisome element than blood pressure pills, you know, allergy medicine, all these things that people have no issue taking at all that are far more toxic to the human body. For sure. Now, you know, I just, I guess, you know, injecting something into yourself, you take a look at exactly what you said. Oh, you dangle, you tickle the balls of the people. Hey, if you want to see grandma, if you want to get on a plane again, if you want to do that, if you want to get into this club, if you want to drive, you want to go to this grocery store, you better have a pass. You better have had your shot. And that is control. That's not free will and our freedom, you know, as well as I do. How many people, millions of soldiers in the past have fought for our freedom. If you were to tell them back in those days as they jumped out and left their families and their communities and their grandma behind to go buckle up, get a weapon, and you're going to go over to another country to fight for our freedom. But in the future, those people are going to piss on that freedom to which you're going to fight for. Buddy, we'd be in a whole different ballpark. 
Yeah, but to play devil's advocate, those same soldiers have to take shots, <laughs> you know, as do firefighters and doctors and nurses. And, you know, a lot of us for our, for our jobs had other shots and didn't even think twice about it. You know what I mean? So, so there's, there's a middle ground there, but it is a choice. I mean, I didn't have to. I chose to. Yeah. I, you chose, you chose to today, but we're only getting started. You know, there's the people who didn't choose to. And, uh, believe me, they're going to feel the pressure of society that you're going to be just like they segregated blacks and whites and you can drink from this tap and you can't drink from that one. You can stay on this side of the street and can't go to that one. When you talk about, uh, soldiers getting shots, let's talk about that for a second. In Canada, I have, we de- we work with combat veterans and I know there's a massive lawsuit against the Canadian government right now. Because back in the day, I don't know which, which uh, Afghanistan, Iraq, I don't remember is one, but they were told to take this shot called mefoquin. Take this shot and it's going to prevent you from getting this malaria, whatever illness over to where it was. And it's tied and tested and it's government approved. It's been through the labs for 10, 15 years and it works. And all of our soldiers took it. And 25% of them are dropping like flies right now, 10 years after the shot. They didn't see the effects right away. And there's a mega lawsuit about that right now. And I have good friends of mine right now who are on 10 times the medication to fight the effects from that mefaquin shot that they took 10 years prior and only to find out that the shot that they took uh, to, to, to protect them against this thing, well, that thing didn't even exist, bro. What was it that they were supposed to be vaccinated against? Me, uh, I, uh, uh, I, I, I wish I could tell you. I was tuned into that. Um, I will send a message to my friend Max, who is, uh, f- is in the system right now, along with uh, Stephen Beardwood and a couple other people. Uh, I can send you all their links to all their stuff and all the documentation on this. And that's why when I see this um, virus thing that's going on and the shot thing, I'm just thinking, holy shit, they came up with it in six months, popped it into you. Sure, it'll let you go see grandpa, but what about in 10 years from now? Yeah. See, well, let me give you the backstory of what helped me make my decision. Um, aside from, like I said, not really thinking twice about the other shots that we had um, as firefighters. But it was also, I waited for a long time to not only see it pan out, not only see which one kind of emerged, you know, if there was any difference between the brands, but also a lot of people that I know are very holistic in their medicine, Dr. Bo Hightower and um, Chris Colvin and some of these people that are either in more of the kind of osteo-chiro space or, um, you know, ER physicians, but I think are some of the most trustworthy because they're not dealing out chronic disease management pills or actually saving lives like we are. Um, But after hearing a lot of them from the UK, from the US, that's really what did it for me. So again, asking people that I respect, who I trust, are in that field, um, what their perception was. So I made it independent of all that other thing. Initially, I was very opposed to the idea and, and allowed a lot of time, a lot of conversations before I was, you know, okay with that because I had the same thing. Like, how, how are you all of a sudden able to, to find this? But don't get me wrong. Again, on the other side, I see this whole thing, vaccinations, everything, absolutely being used as a control tool. And I've had this in multiple conversations with people. Why do we go from deaths to cases? 
why did we go from cases to variants? Like the metrics kept changing to keep people scared. So I, on that philosophy of control, agree with you 100%. Now, vaccinations specifically, like I said, I, I've kind of changed my philosophy a little bit and you know, just kind of met in the middle because I do want to travel and that's just the way it is right now. And do I agree with it completely? No, but you know, it was a choice I made and I allow people to educate me. But the control element, the fear element... Absolutely. The the more we slip away from them, the harder they try and try and take us back. So that that part, I agree 100 percent. Well, not only that, but let's just you know, there is no vaccine for the psychological and emotional impact that this has had on civilization. You know, okay, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying there's not a virus. But you know how many flu strains are there? How many other big problems are cancer? How many people do you know in the last 20 years who have or died of AIDS, et cetera, et cetera? Listen, if 250 first responders can die by suicide in Canada alone and that didn't lock down the damn country and come up with a resolution, well, then I'm just not buying into this. I got a cold and I'm going to stay home and binge watch Netflix for two weeks and get over it. Crap. Totally unacceptable. If our teen suicide rate is up 700% and that didn't stop society in their damn tracks, if our homeless rates are through the freaking roof. Listen, I, let me take a breath. Because <laughs> I, I, my balls tickle on this. I get excited about it because <laughs> I have, well, because I'm not excited in a good way because I've lived through, mm-hmm. well, I live through the psychological damage, the disrespect, the system who stabbed me in the back over and over and kicked me to the damn curb for many, many years, which cost me my family, my career, my health and well-being four attempted suicides, institutionalized and ready to jump off a damn bridge. So when I take a look at the system to which I, as a first responder, as a firefighter, asked for help, like I'm talking about just $380 from welfare so that I can have send my stepson to school with lunch and they deny me that. And here all of a sudden now they're giving out thousands and thousands of dollars to all the people to stay home. It's just I'm looking behind the stage, brother. I'm looking away from the virus and vaccine and I'm looking behind the stage at the actual uh, what's actually going on. Yeah. Well, and I, I agree completely. I mean, even when you look at the obesity rates, look at the look at the um, traffic accidents. I've talked about this you know, more recently, but 40,000 people die on our roads every year. That's the deaths that we in the fire service see far more than in fires. Because usually, I mean, in my career at least, if we're lucky, the occupants were not home in the first place or they, they got themselves out, you know. So whereas the wrecks, I mean, the number of innocent people that are killed and, you know, we have a driving license that a, a 16-year-old child can pass driving a couple of hours with their mom and dad, and then they just go to the DMV and pass. And we wonder why we lose so many people. That hasn't changed. You know what I mean? So I'm, again, completely on board. Obesity kills like a million people. Obesity and related diseases, you know, strokes and heart attacks and all these things. The mental health crisis that we're going through. So that's been my my talk, too. If we truly care about lives, then let's shift to prevention. But that hasn't been the case. So I'm I'm on board with you 100%. And I talk about the analogy behind the curtain all the time. If we're going to make a change, let's actually make a change. And that includes the fire service, 
where we're killing our men and women with the shift work too. Let's give them enough rest and recovery in their work week so they can actually do a 24-hour shift and then get as close to normal so when they return, they're not slowly dying as each year passes. You know, app, you know, you're right again, James. Why I like chatting with you. You're, you know, you're bang on with a few things. The challenge is, is that change isn't made overnight. You know, change takes, you know, us today over these next 20 years with like the work that you're doing and many other amazing people who are planting seeds in the ground. The next five or six generations of people, so 50, 60 years of people need to water those seeds with positive intentions. For it won't be another 80 to 100 years before those flowers blossom. Let's go all the way back to talking about what we're, where we're at today and why and how that analogy is bang on. I've got hold of some CIA files, top secret stuff, and it's probably something that will make your ass tighten when I send it to you. And you'll be like, holy shit. But all of the top psychologists and psychiatrists came together for the Macy's conference in New York City, funded by the Rockefeller Institution back in 1947. Their first question at hand was, what kind of human would we like to construct? Over the course of the next 10 years, a lot of money and a lot of the top scientists and all those fancy people with all them letters behind their names came together and they took 80,000 children, gave them lobotomies, inserted wires into their brains to see how we can control humans. Long story short, answer, electrical stimulation. You walk down the street today or you go anywhere on this earth and let me know who doesn't have a little electrical stimulation robot in their pocket to which they call a cell phone. Yeah, well, you and I both do. We know that. <laughs> no, hey, brother. Hey, I I don't use my phone at all except for pushing the button and leaving voice messages on my Facebook Messenger. <laughs> it doesn't work here. <laughs> but a long story short, is it's, it's electrical stimulation. It's how we control humans. And if you take a look at what's happening today, if, if we didn't have this little robot or what I call the weapon of mass destruction that we give our children happily, if we didn't have it, we wouldn't know those. We wouldn't have been fed those numbers from the second we roll out of bed to check until the second we go to sleep. It, it's, it goes, let's go all the way back to how, you know, the first television. You know, yeah. it's, you know, so well, even I think one of my guests, Byron Rogers, was, was talking about this. And actually, I still need to kind of research it further. But his uh, his take on the TV was actually initially, if supposedly, if you look at the history of it, it was to disseminate propaganda initially. And, you know, of course, that's <laughs> that happens now, not only on our screens, but on our on our devices, too. But with your stuff, with my stuff, you know, conversely, there are. There's so many positives to it as well because we've been able to circumnavigate the filters and get information to people that need to hear it. But it's like, well, how, you know, 
And I think there's a paradigm shift happening with that now because podcasts, documentaries, all these things where those filters are kind of removed now, um, you know, you're, you're able to, to create media platforms that aren't being, you know, swung to the left, to the right, you know, whatever it is. Um, but yeah, but, but the, like, how do we pull everyone back? And like you said, pull the curtain back and, and get people to realize, yes, this, this is a powerful piece of technology. It can definitely make the world better in moderation. But right now we're all being, you know, we're, a lot of us are being controlled by it. There's no question. It's not even a lot. It's every single human being, every single human. Do you remember just even when you and I met, you could put a picture or a video on our Facebook page and we'd have 10,000 people view it and 50 people going, yeah. Awesome. Hey, now I, I get nervous before I post because it's like, A, it's only allowing me to put 1,242 characters. So I got to, I got to cut my rambling all the way down and (laughs) take the emotion, take, take the emotion out of it. And, And that's the thing too, is I've asked a couple people, how do I do this? And they're like, Terrence, you need to stick to the objective and take the emotions out. Take the emotions out of your emails, take the emotions out of your post, and stick to the objective. I said, bro, my emotions is what drives me to even sit on this stupid little piece of plastic. <laughs> you know what I mean? So when you and and emotion is the third piston to our brain. That's what makes us human. You know, pre-COVID, humans weren't even laughing anymore we were loling and sending hearts and happy faces and 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 prayer symbols bro <laughs> like <laughs> yeah but it's true it's it's very very true you know and, and i think the other thing we you talking about when you know years ago and, and i only have my social media for this i only used to have facebook so that my family could see you know when i was overseas traveling and then when i had my little boy obviously a lot of it was sharing with with you know our experience as a family with my family, you know, and that was it. But then when the podcast happened, it grew. But what's interesting too is on Facebook now, I have, you know, X amount of friends, followers, whatever the the term is for each platform. And I'll post something on the Facebook side and I'm maxed out on, you know, the personal page and all that. And it's just literally, hey, here's what's coming on this week or here's a really, you know, inspiring video. And out of the thousands of people, you'll get like three likes. So now that's completely filtered and that's my point. Is that that's, you know, they want you to pay for your audience to see this thing that I think will actually change their lives and make it better, whether it's, you know, a guest coming up or a fundraiser or whatever. And no one even sees it anymore. So that whole side has been hijacked as well. So it's not even an organic interaction anymore. It's very, very controlled. Yep. Well, not only what, the, but the people, it's kind of like, you know, when I used to, when I used to move heroin and cocaine and ecstasy for many years, it's like you bring the people, you give it to them, lots of it, and they get all jacked up on it and they get the, um, they get the emotional attachment to like getting jacked, you know, it's party time. And then you start cutting your shit in half. And then by the time they come knocking at the door at two o'clock in the morning, half of it's freaking baking soda. Not that I did, but people do. So, and they'll pay whatever, anything to just get that little flap and bust out another rail and, and, and smash another one. They did that. The same as this social media thing. This whole thing is, oh, I have 5,000 followers. 
I have this, 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 the other. Oh, 200 people liked it. 80 people commented. That makes the individual go, oh, man, I'm special. People are listening. People are talking. Listen, hey, since I've had 5,000 followers, <laughs> I can't, we can't break more than 280, 300 people like something. Yeah, and you don't. I mean, there's no, there's no feedback. Like I've, I've had that, you know, where, where things have been well received, where it doesn't change my life in any way, shape, or form. And that's, that's why the only metric that I care about. Um, obviously, the more range you have on a social media platform, the more opportunity there is to advertise the podcast. But it's when people hit play on the podcast because I know that guest truly is going to change someone's life. It may not be everyone, but it's going to resonate with people. And, you know, pretty much every single one that comes on, there's a takeaway. There's, there's a way to make your life better. So that's a metric that I actually, you know, do focus on. I'm, you know, proud of and excited about. But yeah, the likes and all that stuff. I mean, what does that mean? Nothing. Literally to you nothing. And I. Yeah. To you and I. To you and I who are two grown men who fight fire for a living. We're talking about, I'm talking about the parents who are reaching out to me because they're 12, 18, 20-year-old kid is suicidal and can't leave the damn room because they're trying to impress the world on this piece of plastic and they can't actually express their emotions anymore. They think they have to do it. And if they're not getting those likes, if they're not getting that feedback other than hate response or the anger or the you're not right, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not talking about you and I. We're using this tool as a tool. We're talking about generations behind us who are impacted and live by this thing. Yeah, I know our generations. I mean, you see, you see the hateful stuff that you know goes back and forth with people that are also grown men and women, and and it's you know it's it's sad, but I think it goes back to you know like you were saying with the um, with the fear and everything. You've created a, a, a generation of people who are got that trigger finger, you know, and the moment something angers them then boom off they go and you know and they're not they're missing the gratitude they're missing the 90 percent of life that actually is kind and amazing and are focusing on that 10 percent that's negative what they're missing is a spiritual connection to themselves and having the total inability to be able to think for themselves without this device telling them what they should know and you know when we look at things on it's like oh okay i like watching ufc i love to watch uh, you know have before i go train i like to watch a, a match mm-hmm. you fired up i get well but i just look at that as like damn right you're gonna be the boss you got to get out and put in the work because i hate working out but i gotta put two and a half hours in a damn day so I need a little something to give me a kick off this device. <laughs> but, you know, James, uh, we could beat this whole thing down where at the end of the day, I truly believe we have a lot of work to do to just pursue, preserve humanity, period, because humans aren't humans any longer. We're not human beings. We're human gods. And if we don't use this tool to plant positive seeds, hope, inspiration, motivation into the people's minds, um, you know, uh, you know, hundred years from now, I'm not sure there will be many humans left on this earth. You know, I just watched, uh, I just saw the new police car. It's 
doesn't have a driver. Oh, they got just, a new automated one. I just watched. I just watched the uh, uh, a fighter jet get refueled by an unarmed uh, airplane. An F sixteen getting refueled. <laughs> I sit here under the stars and I watch Elon Musk's sixty four satellites fly over my head at three o'clock in the morning when I'm doing my meditation. With the whole ball tickler, we're going to end Parkinson's. No, you're going to put a chip in people's minds, and that thing's going to control what you think. So let's get away from cyber. Let's talk about the cool shit that we do up here at Camp My Way and what's happening. And let's that, do know, it. But, yeah, yeah, for sure. Because, uh, buddy. But it's an inter- But it is an important perspective. Before we go there, I mean, and we'll we'll go right into to that now. But just to to kind of put a a lid on that. It's an important perspective for someone who's lived out of civilization, you know, obviously connected somewhat, but for the last six years. So so I thank you for your perspective on that because, you know, a lot of us are, are in the midst of it. So whether people agree, disagree, it's it's a it's an important view to take on, you know, and I try and get, you know, a broad spectrum. Well, but, well, you know, that, well, then that being said, James, let's tickle some more people's balls then real quick and get on with that. Because I remember raising my stepson back. It was probably 2000. And what age was he? He's probably he was in grade eight. And it was the kids can bring cell phones to school. And I went to the school. I said, have you guys lost your freaking minds? Oh, they can use it. It's going to help them with mathematics and this. I said, uh-uh. No, you can't take that thought process, allowing a child to don't put that thing in their hands. After my last attempted suicide in 2015, fast forward, I had wrote something pretty much along the lines of my drug abuse since smoking freebase crack cocaine at 15 years old and another 25 years of crystal meth and heroin and everything else, after my last attempted suicide, I, I questioned my sanity. I said, why, why did I use all of those drugs for so many years? All that death and destruction and, and crime and violence and hatred and Why? You know, I'm sitting up here in the mountains contemplating this. And I said, why, why, why? Well, I had emotions that I didn't know how to manage. I, I, I didn't know myself. I didn't ha- ever have time since childhood to actually get to know myself so that I could just be myself and love myself. It was a constant spiritual disconnection running from myself for so many years with all these substances. And we'll fast forward now to where we are. I'm six years totally drug-free, 150%. And I ask myself, damn, I am 20 times more addicted and I get 20 times more angry and frustrated and I got to do this in my thought process when it comes to social media, my emails, the bombardment of the website and the trying to avoid the detection of what to say, what not to say against artificial intelligence to get the message out there. And I sit there and think, damn, we went ahead and happily give this heroin needle to a five-year-old child. And that's what I mean away from all the virus and vaccine crap 
That's what I mean when you go one plus one equals two for the control of the future of humanity through this device. Absolutely. Well, that's a good segue as well to, you know, what we want to talk about next. So when I think by the time we had a conversation, I was definitely more aware of the impact of childhood trauma as one of the compounding elements to not only anxiety, depression, suicide, but also addiction. Um, and then as we've gone through this podcast, and there's been another 400 since you and I spoke, um, exactly today, um, you know, the number of what? and more, more episodes since you and I talked, there were 469 at the moment. Shit. Yes, it's crazy. So, nice work, nice work, <laughs> but that's the thing. I mean, I'm, you know, it's a voracious appetite for me, you know, so it's, it's a, a need to put all this, these great stories out there for other people for free. Um, but the common denominator over and over again, especially with people that went to the dark, dark place was childhood trauma. So that's a compounding element that I've seen. Sleep deprivation, another compounding element, organizational stress, which you could expand even to, you know, governmental, you know, overreach, another huge element. So now, you know, Camp My Way has been running for several years. You've had, you know, so many men and women kind of come up the mountains and, and spend time with you and your crew. Um, what are some, before we go to the, the healing elements, what, have you noticed any common denominators, common denominators on some of the elements that seem to come up over and over again with the, the kind of nucleus of some of their struggles? Yep. Absolutely. The second they escape the cage and they arrive here in a safe and natural environment where the trees are growing, the birds are singing, the deer are walking by, the wind is blowing, they actually get a sense of, I can feel again. I am a human. They leave their little robots at home because they don't work up here. And if they bring them, we take them the day they get here. And not for one camp in six years of all of our combat veterans, firefighters, police officers, youth at risk, not one of them says anything about anything that happened yesterday or the last 20, 30 years of their career, their lives. They turn into little kids again. Let's go fishing. Woo, we're canoeing. We're breathing in the morning. We're walking barefoot through the forest and we're feeling that natural energy. We're reconnecting to ourself again. Or, or we're not, we don't have the wife. You know, the saber-toothed tiger we used to fear. That, that's a bad thing. He eats people. And today's saber-toothed tiger is the wife, the job, the bills, <laughs> the man, the laws, the rules. So when you sit, take, go all the way back to where we came from, the nervous system isn't in fight, flight, freeze mode anymore. It is just, I'm a human being. Nothing but smiles, nothing but I'm sleeping again, I'm dreaming. Hey, let me do that. Lots of good questions. Wow, I thought meditation, I had to sit in a pair of Lululemon outfit and go, um, block out my mind. Holy, that's not true. You know, it's not what we do for them. It's what they're able to do for themselves, which is experience the now. And that's meditation. We're not able to do that sitting in a psychologist or psychiatrist's office telling the same freaking narrative for an hour on Friday. 
it just doesn't work like that. We've got to think about, okay, for the last hundred years, we've been doing this psychology, psychiatry, talk therapy, uh, blah, 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 blah. Well, guess what? Is it working? Look at the death toll and the destruction in our mental health, everything in our entire world. Well, mostly Western side of the world, our side here is, well, my German friends and, and my friends in Australia and, uh, are you from Australia? I'm from England. Oh, oh shit, man. <laughs> you, go, you, go, you go with that accent, mate. <laughs> and you called me mate. You called me mate earlier. So well, that's a, that's a British term. Probably long before Australia was even made. <laughs> <laughs> but this is the thing, you know, they are, our campers, they're not cops and firefighters when they come up here. They're husbands, fathers, brothers, people. Well, they are anyway. That's the point. This lost so well, often. I, I, I know, but you know as well as I do, you know, in society is, hey, yeah, I'm a firefighter. I'm a cop. I, we, you know, we have that badge of this is who I am. Absolutely. So conversely, I mean, you kind of touched on it a little bit. What are you noticing um, as far as not only healing when people are physically with you, you know, in Camp My Way, but what is also being observed as carrying on? Because once we go back, you're back with the, the wife, the husband, the kids, the job, you know, whatever some of the stressors were before. What are people getting when getting when in the mountains, and then how is that able to carry on once they return to their you know their normal life? Well, well, first of all, before they're even eligible to come up here, one of every hundred make the cut. Because what it all comes down to is if if is 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 the work and showing up and putting in that effort every single day. So. I probably, I get a lot of messages on a daily basis and I give them one small task. Let's have a video chat next week at two o'clock and let's talk about what you're, what you're needing. And then there's the, oh, can I cancel? Oh, was that on Friday? And, you know, so there goes that group. And then there's the ones who do show up and I ask them, okay, I'd like you to just tomorrow morning do a body scan. Do some five by five breathing before you get out of bed. And we do it together on that video call. And then I'd like you to just go outside, sit down with a piece of paper and a pen and write down what you're grateful for. Write down somebody to forgive and why. And then I'd like you to write down on that same piece of paper, your goal for that for today. Take a picture of it and mail it to me. Just before you take that picture, do five push-ups, five jumping jacks, five burpees. And I want a picture of that also. Well, there goes that whole group of people who aren't willing to put in the work. So by the time the one person does come up here, we are a one-year way of life. I don't want to call it a program. It's a way of life. So they're basically with what, doing what we do every day. Wake up, 5 o'clock in the morning body scan, breathing. They've already been doing this all the way up to today. Go for a nice walk, come back, journal, make breakfast. And then we share that around the campfire or down at the lake or whether we're up on a glacier or not with each other. Always positive thinking. 
Now, with the waking up, I know there's a big misconception, you know, like it's a shorter night. Are you guys obviously through the enrichment of what you're doing through the day? Are you going to bed earlier than the average person would so they're still getting that eight hours? Yeah, eight hours of sleep. Oh, they're definitely get definitely getting the eight hours of sleep. You know, um, they've been doing that in the month leading up to even coming up here. So it's just routine. I think I saw something you had posted the other day on LinkedIn there that, that, that the person spoke. And I was like, that guy knows what he's talking about because it all comes down to routine and the tools that you implement into your daily routine for self-care is the key to our survival and to managing our emotions, Imagine, ima- uh, managing the, the psychological impact of the brain, just the monkey mind going, tak, 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 So week one, when they come up here, we're actually experiencing that time away from everything. They don't have to go back to their job, their work, their nothing. We get some good exercise. We're eating right. We're going canoeing. We're going fishing. We're, we put them in situations where they only have minimal survival gear. So they have to use the instinctual part of their brain again. If they're going to sleep in a dry shelter overnight, they're going to build it themselves like we did hundreds of years ago. <laughs> if we're going to eat dinner, here's a hook and 20 feet of line. And you're going to have to catch a fish or we're not eating. It makes you think and it makes you say, oh, you know, I got to do this. Or else I'm not eating. And the challenge of doing hiking up a mountain, packing your gear, setting your tent up properly, making sure that your tarps are good and you got to know how to start a fire and keep warm. If you can't do these basic things, you're not going to survive up here at all. So when we start allowing the camper to experience what it's like to be a human and survive instinctually and make rational decisions, along the way, our emotions are a lot more managed naturally without thought process because we're living the way we are designed to. So after their first week, they go home and they take one of their tools and experiences that they've learned that week and they add it to their daily routine. Five more minutes, 10 more push-ups, a little bit, another extra page on gratitude or forgiveness. One tree to hug in my bare feet and just hold on and say, thank you for my life today. And they do that. They add that tool to their belt for three months, every single day. And they come back here three months later for another week. And they take one more tool. I'll I'll, I'll give it to you like this. Let's keep it real simple. James comes into the Home Depot. You guys have Home Depot down there in Florida? We do, yeah. How's this? How's this? James comes in and says, Terrence, you know, I want to build my house. I want to build a house. In other words, get your life back. Sell me all the tools. I need them all. I say, Mr. Gearing, hey, bro, listen, how about we do this? Why don't you and I walk down this the tool aisle and we will use the every single tool together. Yank skill saw jacket. We're going to use them all together at the end of the week. James, you're going to know what tool you love. But this is my tool. I love the skill saw, Terrence. And you'll know that from using it and experiencing what value it brings to your life, what happiness. 
peace of mind. Okay, James, I'll go home and you start to build your house with that one tool. And just add that tool to 10 minutes to your day every day for the next three months. Three months later, you come back up. We'll use all the tools again. You take another tool. Now you have two tools that you love the best. Take it home and continue building your home. Three months later, you come back and get another tool. Small steps. Building our home is a lifelong experience. And now over one year, our campers have at least three or four tools that they use on a daily basis to maintain their well-being. Not expecting, I'm going to feel better. Because let me tell you, I get pissed off every day. I actually hold my 12-gauge and my AR to my computer every week at least once. And just like, I'm going to, I get angry. I cry. I got anxiety. I get stressed out. But I also have the tools to make sure they're managed by the time I sit down for evening meditation so that I do get some sleep and that it doesn't ruin my life and take me down the same rabbit hole that it did for 40 years. And all we do up here is we share those experiences with the people. Beautiful. With that being said, um, I mean, you know, since we spoke last, it's been four years. Are there any success stories that really resonate now? I'm sure anyone who leaves better than they came is a success story, but are there any kind of powerful ones that spring to mind? Every single one, every single one, every single, every single right from Harley, 12 year old boy who came up here all the way up to uh, Mr. Uh, to Sheriff Chad Kennedy, who's actually coming up here in two weeks for his third camp. He is so inspired and motivated and has added these tools his way. That's, and that's why we call it camp my way. It's not Terrence's way. This is your way. You're going to take the breathing. You're going to take. You're going to take it. And you're going to alter it and let it fit your lifestyle the best. But Sheriff Chad Kennedy was in a pretty bad place back in September, and now that he's coming up here in two weeks, he's already brought himself to the point. He has mapped a PTSD. Actually, it's called C to C for PTSD. The guy's going to walk across the country in 2022 to raise awareness to post-traumatic stress and share what he's learned up here with the people. Captain Dale Lundy is now Assistant Chief Lundy. You know, I mean, I can go through the whole, I can go through the whole, I mean, um, really great results and a very positive impact on human beings. See, and that's so powerful as well, because any of those names could have been a casket with an American flag or, or Canadian flag or a German flag or, you know, Georgian flag over them. And instead, you know, I mean, each one of these lives saved is huge. And that was, that was going back to the COVID for a second. That was the problem with the numbers was they were de dehumanizing people, you know, like, oh, this, this is important, but this isn't. No, every single life. And I, I made a post about this recently because I forget what it, well, it was, uh, I forget it was one of, one of our, our fallen either firefighters or police officers, but every single funeral, every single death is a church full of people who are heartbroken. One single death. So even if, you know, you, you, in some way, shape, or form, reach out to someone, you create a program, whatever it is. If you save one person, that's how I look at it, the podcast too, one single person, 
all your effort is worth it. So just some of these names, like from a 12-year-old through to sheriffs and chiefs, um, you know, that's that's incredible, absolutely incredible. And, you know, the, and the best part, I'll tell you, James, you want to talk about a success, what the b- biggest, greatest success is what each of our campers have given me. They give me a purpose. They share with me their tools. They share with me their positive energy. They share with me their goals and dreams. And they are listening to mine. They don't, they don't want anything from me and we're just, two, we're just people connecting together and operating at a, at a higher level of consciousness, positivity. And they have continued on a daily basis to save my life. And the greatest part about how we have ex, um, how we have transformed our program as we grow, thanks to the Surrey Firefighters Charitable Society, last year donated forty five thousand dollars to our Camp My Way program to run a youth program for the Surrey community. Because if we want to tar- start talking about prevention, it's a matter of giving these experiences and tools to our youth. And the greatest part is, is all of our campers in the past are all ready to come back and help facilitate the youth programs. But we're not going to tell the youth that I'm a fireman, I'm a police officer, I am a, a soldier until they graduate. Beautiful. I love it. Absolutely love it. Now, you, you said about the donation, when we talked... The, the first time, that was right around the time that you had flipped the tire up the mountain and, and were doing some fundraisers in that kind of, um, you know, not genre is the wrong word, but that was that was kind of the, the focus was the tire flipping. So fast forward, we're coming out of COVID. You know, sadly, a lot of nonprofits have suffered this last year because of what we've seen. Um, tell me about, you know, the, the, the things you have on the horizon to enable you do you to do more camps like this. Well, hey, let's back up for a second here. Let's talk about all the way from 2015 when we started all the way up until today. Even though we are a registered nonprofit, not one camper has paid a dime to come here. Every single camper who has had the ability to come here was thanks to Nestor's Food Market, Escape Route, Trev Dealey, Harley Davidson, you know, Vessel. We have Cal Tire, Summit Lodge, all of our sponsors who have helped us with food, used backpacks, everything is donated and all run by volunteers. Not a penny has come in, let alone show a profit. <laughs> I'll tell you that much. I eat half an a- apple, a quarter pear, and a handful of oats for breakfast, and three eggs for dinner. And uh, if I catch a fish, that's what I'm eating on a daily basis. <laughs> so, you know, bucks coming through here. But now that we do have some, we are able to expand and, and help hire facilitators and actually get safety equipment that works and tents that don't leak and sleeping bags that are warm and (laughs) those sort of things that we need. Um, We have also, thanks to Mr. Josh Vanderweis, um, reached out to me, to us two years ago and uh, said, you know, for you guys, you're going to need to start bringing in some bigger bucks. You're going to need your charitable status. Then you can write tax receipts. I said, yeah, bro, but the guy that needs to do that kind of paperwork with the government's a $10,000 guy. 
Which always blows, blows my mind that to become a nonprofit is so expensive. Well, the not to become a nonprofit's not the problem. To be a charity is. Or well, okay, charity then. But but if an organization that's trying to do good in the world and there's there's such a financial barrier to that. Well, but you know, rightfully so. There's enough people. You know, the, there's enough sneaky snakes out there who abuse the system, and I understand, especially when it comes to the man. Anyways, it just so happened that Josh reaching out to us um, is that lawyer. And he says, I'm going to waive your fee and file and do it all for you. Oh, brilliant. Yeah, Josh is a Canadian para-Olympian, and he was born with no arms and no legs. So you want to talk about stress, anxiety, you know, you want to talk about some challenges, but the man has a beautiful smile and the biggest heart I've ever seen in my life. So uh, as we speak today, we're in that process to become the Canadian Wellbeing Foundation, and we have an opportunity right now to work under Josh's foundation, which is the Canadian Disabilities Foundation, to raise up to $50,000 and issue those tax receipts for our camp to be able to grow. Beautiful. It is. It is. It's, 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 um, it's, it's been a challenge like you had asked. Let me get back to your question. I'll bring it right back. You had said, how has this affected you? You know, um, what affects me the most is is how heartbroken I am at the fact that our government has not allowed and will not allow youth to attend a day camp or an overnight camp. So we're segregating our kids into their cages and forcing them to sit here on YouTube, sit here on TikTok and all that crap while they need to be out here experiencing what it's like to build a shelter, breathe. Love, laugh, catch a fish, canoe, you know, do things that we got to do growing up. Be kids. Experience what it's like to be human. So this last year and a half has been a big challenge because A, that money just sitting in the bank while there's kids suffering today that need to get out of the cage. Take their mask off. Get up and just, just be. You know, we talk about bullying, uh, substance abuse, gang violence, all that sort of stuff. Well, I wasn't born a gang member when I got jumped into gang. I wasn't born a drug addict. Society had molded me into that because I wasn't given the opportunity to um, release my energy or deal with my emotions. So you think we had problems pre-COVID. Like I said, there's a whole group of kids out there right now that just aren't getting the experience, the education, knowledge, understanding, and the tools that they need to navigate their way through a very difficult time ahead of us. Yeah, well, even here, like where I live is a beautiful community. If you're going to live in the suburbs, I think this is this is definitely a, a gorgeous place. There's a big lake in the middle of all these these kind of housing areas around, and we have tennis courts and a soccer pitch and a <laughs> swimming pool. Shit. Yeah, so, I mean, so many places for kids to go be kids um and not so much in the wildlife setting but for you know inside a city it's pretty phenomenal but what i've seen i mean i just was walking my dog this morning like it used to be full of kids out the door used to be constantly being knocked on by my son's friend saying hey you want to come out and that stopped it stopped because covid took the wind out of their sails and it's programmed them to stay at home to watch tv and i'm sure you know we're slowly going to see that shift but that cannot come without a cost, whether it's a, the health issues, whether it's the mental health, health issues. So even in a more, what I would say, progressive 
state this last year our governor's been very kind of middle of the road sensible and we seem to have you know unlocked a lot of things way way sooner than than most of the country but even here we've still you know i've still witnessed that so i can't imagine what it's like in california and new york and some of these other places that have been far more stringent yep you're you're and you're bang on and 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 we'll take it all the way back to the beginning of the conversation when i said let's look behind the curtain you know, I hope if we do have anybody still listening and uh, wanted to hear us out, um, you know, my conversation in the beginning about, you know, vaccines and viruses, um, this is what I mean by let's look behind the curtain because of, uh, of the long-term effects this is going to have over the next 30, 40, 50 years. Our next police chief, our next politician, our next lawyer, teacher, educators, inspirations, sp- athletes. I mean, bro, what do you think hockey players are going to want to go just play a, play on a rink that the, the stands are all covered in cardboard ads? <laughs> Fuck, you know? Uh, no, where are our athlete? Where's our, where, they don't even know what an athlete is. They took that out of school. You know what I mean? So where's that competition and that, you know, what did you play growing up? Um, I played anything, anything and everything. I didn't stick with one sport. I just loved playing sports and playing. And even in our, our lunch breaks between lessons, we'd be out there with a chair leg and a ball playing a version of baseball. So, yeah, I, I couldn't stop moving. <laughs> nice. Well, that's just it. Imagine if you weren't able to do that. What would you do? Hope for it one day, something that you don't even know about? Or would you sit here and get your heroin fix? by sitting on TikTok all day thinking I'm that's not me you know the the the, the damage is is irreversible so we should be focusing on things that we can do to change the education system to change the uh, environment you know we talk about mental health as nothing to do with mental health is everything to do with our environmental health when we change our cage, we change the results in our well-being. I love that. And I think that was something I spoke about very early on that was such a powerful lesson when, you know, when the roads did stop, you know, we saw the air quality, the rivers, I mean, so many positive things from Mother Nature. And then it broke my heart because then we went the complete other way. And then we started wrapping everything in plastic and there were like discarded masks everywhere. So I feel like even the environmental side, we just kind of totally rebuked that lesson too. So that's, I I mean, I agree with you completely. To me, there are so many elements of technology and progress that can bring so much good to the world. Like traveling is a perfect example. I love the fact that I can live in America and get on a plane and fly and go see my family. I mean, that's incredible that I can go on a Skype or Zoom call and talk to my 103-year-old grandmother. But, you know, the food quality, the exercise and movement, the mindfulness, the, the time in nature – you know, those are things that I wish we could go back a hundred years because I think we have done so much damage to this planet and congregated in these little isolated places because we want to live right on the beach or, you know, wherever it is. And with so much space in the world for us just to kind of move out and, and you know, go back to small towns and, and villages where you do know each other and, you know, you you buy from the local farmer and it's not sprayed with the chemicals or, you know, you, if you're up in the mountains, you know, whatever it is. But there's a lot that we can be grateful for with technology, but there's 
it's called ancient wisdom for a reason. There's a reason why we thrive as a species for you know hundreds of thousands of years living off the land. And I think absolutely, a, technology has done a lot of damage, and we're seeing the the effects through the the suicides, anxiety, and depression, but also the cancers and the, the heart disease and all these other things that are killing people in absolutely genocidal numbers. That it doesn't seem to you know bother anyone, and it just blows my fucking mind why we can't hit control alt delete on that health crisis if we can do it for you know this last year exactly james but you got me on the edge of my seat i love it i love conversating with people who actually understand it's uh not only just like environmental when we talk about growing food well let me ask you a question first why is it that genghis kong uh, the Roman Empire, the Mayans, those great civilizations. Why did they collapse? Well, they got too big, didn't they? They outgrew themselves. Nope. nope. Was it that they that's weren't what, mobile? That's what we think. But let's look at the realistic standpoint. It wasn't that they got too big. I mean, these are great civilizations. I mean, you look at some of the uh, architecture and the, the fields and their irrigation systems and the way they, they roamed around to hunt and gather, you know, like they're perfect societies, great mega feats that we can't even <laughs> compare to at all today. How does that collapse? I'm waiting for the answer. Oh, okay. I'm just look. I'm while well, I'm looking at you because it looks like I can see you still, but you're. Uh, I see you thinking. <laughs> no, I mean to me, to me, it's like you know what Sebastian Junger writes about. I think that we are supposed to be in smaller tribal groups, and you know, not so much the Mayans, but definitely the you know the Roman Empire and Genghis Khan. Like, I think there's an element of greed, you know, instead of just like I talk about this. There's this infatuation these days with monopoly i want to own the entire food source the entire water source instead of well you know let's go back to these small communities that took care of their own so i'm if, i mean I'm, I'm intrigued if it's not that they outgrew because to me i feel like they just got greedy and tried to take over <laughs> the entire world yeah for sure and that that that's rightfully a good thought thought process for a human in 2021 absolutely because of how we perceive everything today I, I get that thought process and hey i'm learning more each day too i mean i only know this little bit of information but if scientifically actually the sun every couple thousand years actually gets away from the earth a little bit and dips behind some sort of something, um, buckling the ability to grow our own food. The weather temperatures drop where things aren't growing. Uh, bees aren't pollinating. Massive floods or huge heat waves. So when you can't feed the people, we collapse. And that's not a human, we're not, ego says that we're in control of Earth's atmosphere and all of our climate change. And oh, it's just, that's, that's ridiculous, total hogwash. So, I mean, let's just take it, fast forward it all the way to the 1800s. 
where 90% of humans could grow their own food and be self-sustainable on their little farms. As of 2020, only 1% could take care of themselves and grow their own food. And when we take a look at today, our temperatures, they, they oh, it's climate change. Damn right it is. Why do you think the Mayan calendar stopped in 2012? Because that's when the sun is getting away from the earth again. And it will be another 50 years before humans will not be able to be self-sustainable and grow anything. Because as much as we want to, the sun, the earth, the temperatures, the soil won't allow us and will collapse again. I feel like that's at the hand of man this time around, though. You know, I mean, I think that we're we're just driving our soil. I mean, you see, you hear it. You know, these 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 mega farms, this you know, this agriculture that we have outside of the local farm. You know, that are just planting and planting and planting. There's there's not even the nutrients in the soil. So even the food that we're getting, you know, from what I'm told, I'm not an agriculture expert, doesn't resemble the food that you know that would grow in 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 a in a very fertile um environment so we're not they're not seeing the same nutrient profile in an apple in a grocery store here than you would an apple naturally grown in a you know a a natural farm that uses cow manure and you know just just would be somewhat a version of an apple in the wild absolutely and 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 this is just what it all boils down to. I mean, I grow my own food. I can't I can't afford to pay for it, you know. So I grow my own, and I I do live instinctually. And right now, my crops are suffering. I'm actually outside right. It snowed yesterday, James. It's the middle of June, bro. <laughs> you know, and then some places in Canada, it's a massive heat wave. And um, we humans are kind of like, we're so in our devices to acknowledge the fact of what's actually going on about the vaccine, the virus. We're not looking up at what's happening in our, on our planet. Man can suck the bejesus out of this earth all at once. It could, it could drain our oil, mine our coal, it could chop all the trees and believe me, <laughs> it'll grow right back. No problem. It, how many ice ages have we had since the beginning of time where everything was frozen in ice? Ooh, it came back. And we'll come back again. I'm not saying, oh, prepare for doomsday. Go put your canned beans in an underground bunker. I'm saying love each other, respect each other, help each other, get outside and hug and high five and play. And if you want to vaccinate and put a thing on your face and wash your hands, that's okay too. But time is ticking. And we don't have that much time on this earth. We have today. So enjoy it. And you will never find time. You got to make it. <laughs> That's it. You know, you ever, walk through, you ever walk through a graveyard? I like walking through graveyards. Yeah, I Because I, look, I, I like to look and think, fuck, what would that guy do if he could come back to life right now for a day? What kind of bullshit did he endure in his life through the system and through society? 
that actually mattered to just that one day he would have back on earth? Would any of that stress and the bills and the laws and the politicians and the vaccine, would any of that matter? No. I bet you I'll, I'll put my left and my right nut on. He would just walk. <laughs> just, Absolutely. And, yeah. and just feel the wind on his face and like, holy, I'm alive. So we all have that opportunity to do that today. Take five minutes and just go sit down and be like, you know what? All the things that negative things I'm thinking at the end of today, I'm alive. I have my breath. I can feel, I can love, I can laugh, and I can do something today that might help make somebody else's life better, selflessly. And if you act that way, think that way, you're going to wake up again tomorrow on this earth as a human. Love it. That's the perfect place, I think, to transition to some closing questions because, I mean, that that's that's it, you know, and that, that brings our entire conversation back down to, to gratitude, you know what I mean, 100%. So before we get to, to the, the actual closing questions, let me make sure we kind of, you know, spend some time on this. So as you mentioned, every one of the campers that's been up there so far has not paid due to the you know, fundraising and donations. So for people listening, if they want to help, how can they, you know, submit a donation or be part of a fundraiser to support you guys? That would be amazing. A few different ways. They can just go to campmyway.com and click the donate button or send me an email, Terrence, T-E-R-R-A-N-C-E, at campmyway.com. In case you want to call one of our sponsors and buy a backpack or a tent or a cook stove or a water bottle or even a sleeping bag, you know, a canoe, a paddle, doesn't have to be cash. Cash, sure, that keeps the lights on, but uh, we need equipment. And the more equipment that we have and, and uh, things like that uh, works also. It's all transferring positive energy through our intentions. That's what makes this whole program valuable. And hopefully one day, James, you know, what, what makes me a little frustrated is that our politicians, our government, our police and fire agencies, the top chiefs in the top places, the insurance companies, they have no problems with paying the, the, the $400 an hour for a firefighter to sit in a room and talk for an hour, give him no tools, but relive his nightmares, but they won't recognize us as being an option and how they can implement things like our program to offer that opportunity for people to come up and experience themselves. Doesn't it's, it's cost free. It's free. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> You know, um, why aren't we, why aren't we taking all of that money? Why aren't, you know, the hundred and $189,000 it costs to house one inmate for one year in a prison. Why aren't we, first of all, give me half of that and I'll stop committing crime. <laughs> but <laughs> uh, why aren't we taking that money? And putting it into 
meditation and mindfulness and yoga and nutrition into our schools? How many schools aren't feeding their kids, aren't doing breathing and meditation and, and going to food banks and helping other people? So why aren't we taking that money and doing that? Well, because we are about to. Because society is going to demand change in the next five years. And they are going to be looking for answers. So, okay, so we haven't done it in the past, but we can do it in the future by starting today. Amen. Absolutely. And I think the proactive side is I mean, something I talk about all the time. We look at addiction, we look at crime, you know, the underbelly of a lot of that is is mental health, you know, and again, whether it's what's happened to people as children, which again, is another cycle we have to break, you know, but also, you know, the environment, you know, when we're not teaching children about food, how to cook, you know, all, the, all these skills that was just passed on generation to generation for so many years. And now, you know, we, we have a in some areas, again, I'm generalizing, but we have, you know, areas where children don't know what raw food looks like, how to process, you know, how to cook it, where it comes from. Um, you know, so I think, yeah, I mean, the proactive side is so, so important. And I agree 100%. I would much rather spend my tax money on proactive prevention programs than housing a broken human in a cage. Absolutely. But, you know, at the same time, as devil's advocate, I guess you would say, that's bad for business. Oh, that's not devil's advocate. That's just the hard truth. <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah. I, I mean, I, maybe I shouldn't say, I mean, I don't even, yeah, I mean. It's like, a profit-based system a lot of times. So, yeah, I mean, how can we have profit-based systems and a profit-based healthcare system and think that there's going to be altruistic practices going on? No, I mean, you know, residents, sick people, prisoners are making some people a fuckload of money. And that's just the economics of our system at the moment. Well, in America, well, you are down there in America, y'all have more prisons than you do universities. So, so let's stop there for a second. And then let's go over to the fact that what about the police officers who have to respond to all of those crimes? What about the firefighters who have to wash the brains off the damn pavement and the paramedics who have to show up to another school shooting? This is business. This is unacceptable. Humans who are in fear, humans who are, are ill, is good for business. So if we're going to shake heads at that and say, yeah, you know, actually, that's right. Well, let's now talk about viruses and vaccines. Ah, let's not. But let's plant that seed in the mind and understand what's going on behind the curtain. Mm -hmm. But again, that comes from resilience. If you have... The children that grew up in a school that, you know, that educates them on food, that has nourishing food in their cafeteria, that are playing a lot, then you're going to have a population that isn't morbidly obese. And therefore, a virus that we've just seen is going to be a lot less deadly. And we're going to be able to protect the people that are vulnerable and the rest of the workforce can, you know, can keep going and keep doing the professions that they do and keep funding nonprofits and all these things because they're not having to hide in their house. And that is the, the key element out of this last year that I wish, you know, you're talking about learning. I hope we learn. This virus was a mirror for us and it showed us what a sick population we are. And that's a, a bitter pill to swallow, but it's true. 70% of Americans are overweight or obese, 70%. Supposedly, this generation of children is the first time ever that they're predicted to die before their parents. You know, I mean, that's terrifying. 
So if we don't learn about resilience, so we don't need to vaccinate everyone because the, most of the people are healthy and we can vaccinate the very young and the very old if that's something that's deemed safe and effective, then so be it. But, you know, that's, and I agree with you, the prevention, you know, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. Ooh, nice, nice. Well, that sounds good. I love the sound of that. I do. In fact, I'm sitting up straight right now with a little bit of goosebump on my arms. It's not because it's almost zero degrees. It's actually, <laughs> it's, 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 it sounds good, but we just told kids they can't go to school. We, I mean, bro, we canceled Christmas. If I told you three years ago, one day they'll cancel Christmas, <laughs> you'd say, oh, you're a conspiracy theorist. It just happened. How many Americans are out of work? Okay, so let's say we can't feed our families, let alone send them to school with clean clothes. Well, guess who's hiring and always hiring? Organized crime. There is such a demand for opiates. There is such a demand for crystal methamphetamine. There is such a demand to escape all these emotions that we find ourselves stuck with today. And going to the psychiatrist on Friday to talk about how depressed I am, hey, I'd rather do a line of meth. And then to feed that meth habit, I have to sell my daughter and myself in order to feed that. And I have to commit these crimes. There's not enough police able to respond to what's about to be released into society right now either so hey i love the idea but all of those people with children and families they're not even communicating with each other anymore they're texting each other from the same table or from the bathroom shitter while they're did you do your homework yeah you know you know um yeah james so I'm just looking at I'm looking at your smile. You guys have such a great it's a contagious smile. You, why don't you put videos on your podcast? <laughs> well, I'm opt- I, I am optimistic because you know that's that's sadly definitely the picture at the moment. But you know, I truly believe, like you said, about the five year thing. I think we're at the beginning of a paradigm shift, and I think that this last year has shown government overreach, hands down. And this isn't a left or right thing. I couldn't. I've. I hate everyone, not hate, that's a very strong word. (laughs) I am hugely unimpressed by the people that we're presented with that are supposed to be leaders in our country. Left and right, the same people get churned out as happen to have a different color tie. So, you know, to me, it's us. It's getting back to the fact that we, the people, the base of the pyramid, um, are, you know, should be inverted. We are, you know, the, what, what this is actually about. So the more of us that get educated, the more of us that get pissed off, the more we're going to push for change. So I'm excited because I'm an incurable optimist anyway. It's just you have to get angry and use bad <laughs> words sometimes to push, you know, push that. <laughs> uh, hey, and don't get me wrong. Listen, I hope it doesn't sound like I'm sitting here flogging the horse with negativity. I'm just actually calling it how I perceive the future as to what by by talking on your podcast right now and um, uh, from a different perspective, from outside the bubble, for the people to understand, you know, what's actually going on, to think about that for a minute and understand that absolutely what's going to happen over the next five, 10 years is World War Three. 
we are going to lose a lot of lives and a lot of our everything that it used to be. And that's okay because with such darkness, the sun always rises. You can't fix something unless you see all of the problems to bring a new solution. So the greatest thing about the vaccine and the virus and the death toll and the psychological and emotional impact and the lack of education, knowledge, understanding, the tools, all of that will force your, our countries, what people are left who've survived the Holocaust to say, this is what we need to do to be happy, to be healthy. We have to change the way we grow our food. We have to change the way we laugh, love, and communicate. There are going to be enough humans that watch their grandparents die, that watch their children die by suicide, that watch their wife become homeless or sold across the country, to be able to say, hey, you know what? They've endured the war, and the next person they see, it'll be a hug, it'll be love, it won't be, fuck this system. There won't be talkers, there'll be people taking actions towards solutions, and that won't happen for another 20 years from now, so that those children's children have the tools and the ability to just be human in a positive world. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think I mean, a lot of people coming on here are the ones already pushing for that. But yeah, it's just yep. there's got to be a, a critical mass, you know, and I think I think it's it's begun. But yeah, there's a lot of a lot of soul searching, like you said, sadly, you know, more people we're going to well, we're definitely going to lose a lot because of just the, the sheer ill health that we have here. But I, I truly believe that there is a push, you know, for nature again for i mean even even like hunting whether people are pro or, or anti-hunting i mean there's a lot of people that are getting into that getting into you know the 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 mud runs and the, the crossfit and you know triathlons and all these things where they're in tribes and they're doing things that are you know getting them outside getting them moving um getting them to face their fears you know so i think no no, no, no. I'm sorry. I got to stop you right there. I just watched some fucking Peloton commercial that came on my screen the other day. This lady, this lady that was uh, the mom, so too lazy to go out for a walk. She rolled over and she grabbed her device and stuck it to her face. And next thing you know, she's in this 10-dimensional world and she's jumping through these pyramids and she's catching these pineapples in the air and she's in the mountains and then she's in on out on the ocean and holy holy heroin mushroom trip that is not what i was talking about <laughs> at all no but th- no no i know but this is what they're giving to the people no now exactly exactly and that's I'm, I'm talking about the opposite where people are going out and getting dirty and muddy and cold and where? wet in in the places I talked about, in the the mud runs and the the rocks, and I mean, there's a there's a there's a there's a group of people that are doing that, and I think the more that they encompass, because yeah, that VR world is terrifying to me too. Like you can sit on your ass oh, eating oh. Cheetos while you virtually go surfing. No, get your ass out into an ocean, you know, and and, and go and experience that. So I think that's just it. That's where the war is. The VR world, you know, and, and way that's going, which of course again has applications. If it's helping train our pilots, beautiful. 
but they also need to get in a real plane and go fly. You know what I mean? So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I, I just watched this thing. They were selling it like supernatural, get your life back. And then all these little pop-ups came up on the commercial saying, this saved my life. I've never got so much exercise in my life. I've so much healthier. This is the answer. We're feeding the people this bullshit illusion of you can do this in your beside your bed mm-hmm. yeah what is like the chair aerobics remember that no yeah i mean in the aerobics kind of world it got to the point where yeah you would have chair aerobics and it was supposed to be for the elderly now there's obviously an element of that i understand but there's a lot of people that are older that the whole cure not cure but what they really need is to be on their feet you know, so, you know, when you and then but then that didn't end up being the elderly or, you know, let's say, for example, you know, the adaptive athlete that was in a wheelchair and it was movements for them. It ended up being, like you said, just downgrading exercise. So that's what I find so inspiring is I just did CrossFit this morning and with the only other guy in the gym with me that day, we we um, you know, we had a very, very quiet um turnout today was a 70 i don't know how old he is like 70 75 year old marine who worked out you know with me so you know what i mean so so that's what a 70 year old should look like and be able to do but we're selling this idea that you know again oh you're you've got gray hair now so you should just work out sitting down no 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 so we've been on this journey for for quite a while but it's easier it's easier for me to drive through and get my burger than to go to my kitchen and actually cook a meal for my family. So it's, but it's, it's ownership of the individual, but it's also the yeah. environment. And we've created an environment that makes it hard to find clean food. I mean, you and I, you and I remember probably 10 years ago, you want organic. You, oh, you, what are you, a hippie? You know, what? Well, Cause I don't want chemicals on my food. No, I just don't want to die of cancer. You know, so so now I think that we are like you start even even though we're still talking about cities, there are more and more restaurants now that are popping up that actually pride themselves on grass fed and, you know, organic food and all these things. So we're seeing a beginning of a shift, I think. So I'm, again, optimistic, but we more of us it's like Newton's first law. A lot of the real pioneers pushed and got that car moving. You know, now we need, you know, we need more and more people now to kind of carry it on, you know. So, um, you know, the more of us that kind of stand side by side, the more we are going to have local farms being empowered again. We're going to take away a lot of subsidies from these, you know, monopoly seeking, in you know, corporations and put some of that subsidy back in the local farmer and help him or her create clean food in our neighborhood. So we're not having to drive it thousands of miles and pollute the environment that way, too. So to me, it's it's a huge win-win, but we have to unite and understand, educate ourselves and understand that by doing that, just as you said, we will create healthy, happy human beings. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, we have to have the children and the youth have the experience of, hey, this is what it's like to survive and till up your land and put the seeds in and have to pull the weeds and keep the bu- the bu- the uh, the the uh, the deer and the mice and the rabbits away if you want to eat to understand the value and what goes into this natural food how much time you need to water and pick and this sort of thing now kid today is it 
I could just go to Jack in the Box. What the hell would I want to go do all that for? So where are these farmers going to come from? You know, like I said, there's only 1% left. With There's just too many people on this earth. So um, the ones that will survive, um, they will do so because the grocery stores will be empty. And they will have to be forced out into the into survival mode, which is thankfully how I still have my life back. I got forced into it. If you had to tell me ten years ago, Terrence, go grow your own food, but Nestor's is down the road. But what would I do that for? I got other stuff to do. You know, it's not like I'm trying to preach like this is what we have to do. It's humans will experience it themselves to say this is what we have to do. Yeah. Well, I think we are already. Well, Terence, I just want to say thank you so much, mate. Um, you know, again, the you know your your story that you told in episode sixty nine was so incredibly powerful, and and people listening, you got to listen to that one first. Obviously, the polarity of where you are now, you know, living in the mountains of Canada, getting all these these campers coming on, whether they're you know kids that we're trying to forge into amazing adults or some of the responder population or veteran population that are you know working through some things. Um, you're doing incredible things, and I thank you so much for taking the time to come on the podcast again. You know, James, thank you very much for having me. It's an honor to get to sit here. I, I see your posts every day. I listen to them. You speak to some pretty badass people from all over the place, very inspirational, motivational, full of a wealth of knowledge and wisdom. And uh, for you to, I mean, I just mop the floors around here. So like to, to be invited on to sit and talk with you is like uh, Joe Rogan calling me up and saying, you want to talk? Like, pretty cool thank you